0: I'm really uh, glad to have you all here today. Uh, We're uh, concluding uh, our sermon series on uh, Jesus Christ uh, Superstore. And so next Sunday, we're going to be starting a new series, um, one that we're pretty excited about. Um, It's going to be called uh, Villainous. And it's going to be looking at these attributes that we kind of know as the seven deadly sins and uh, how we actually see those attributes talked about and described quite a bit in the book of Proverbs. And so it's going to be a proverbial uh, series. Now I admit the timing of starting a villainous series on Mother's Day is probably not <laughs> the smartest move ever. Um, but obviously we're we're gonna we're gonna honor and 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 show kind of mom as the opposite of the attribute next week. But we're gonna start that uh, next Sunday. We're gonna be uh, kind of engaging uh, with some villain clips uh, from Disney and some things like that. It'll be it'll be kind of fun uh, series for us, and we're just gonna. Uh, talk about the book of Proverbs and what it says about these attributes and how um, those are the kind of villains that come for all of us, but God calls us to something better and greater. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, We thank you so much for Jesus and for his grace. And as we uh, kind of wrap up this series today, I pray that um, we would uh, never feel like we, we have to make a choice between two of your attributes but that we could always be an and to people, that, that you are both of these things and we love you for it. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We tend to have very uh, strict categories when it comes to life about experiences being good or bad. It's like that was a, a good experience or that was a bad experience, but the truth of the matter is there's a lot more uh, nuance to life than that. Uh, For instance, one category that we're going to talk about quite a bit today would be an experience that maybe we viewed as bad at the time, but actually led to something good. So coming out of Bible college, uh, I knew I wanted to be a preacher. I knew I wanted to serve the church, but I didn't know exactly where God was calling me to do that. And so I went and I helped start a church in Metro Detroit. I was the youth minister and the small groups minister. And in a lot of ways, it was a great experience. But the startup, church Startups are tricky and hard, and ours, it just didn't take off very fast. Uh, It it took off kind of slow, and money became really tight. And about nine months in, I ended up being laid off uh, from that job. 24 24 years old, just starting out, uh, not a good experience at all. Hard, humbling, I felt incredibly lost. The day I was laid off, I drove an hour and a half over to my alma mater, uh, Great Lakes Christian College. And uh, when I went over there and I ran into one of my mentors and he said, we actually have an opening for an admissions counselor uh, job if you would like it. And I said, oh, that'd be great. I was worried about that I was never going to get hired again, basically. You, you know how your mind starts to play tricks on you. It's like, i you know, nine months and I'm done, right? Sort of thing. And I said you can have this admissions counselor counselor job, and uh, I took it. And so I ended up being unemployed for like, in the neighborhood of like eight hours or something. Uh, and I was grateful to God for that. But while I was doing this admissions counselor job, I started attending chur- a church there in, in the Lansing area where the college was. I eventually ended up on part time staff there, eventually full time staff there. And while I was a full time staff member there. This cute girl, Cheryl Myler, walked into church one day. <laughs> and we started talking and eventually uh, dating. And I think, about, I think about this all the time, about how I would have told you in that moment of being laid off that that was one of the worst things in the world. I, I was panicking. I didn't know what my future was. I didn't know what was going to happen. And it was a tough experience, uh, but it actually turned out for the better. Uh, for, for me, and I have I can look back on that job now and have a great deal of gratitude that that happened um, Because of my personality I probably would have stayed there a very very long time like yeah We know you've been here 17 years, right? So um, that, That's just my personality right and I, I tend to stay and so I would have stayed there a long time And I think about everything that I would have missed as the result of that And you might have your own story as I was sharing mine that you would say man this moment was hard It was hard, but it led to this moment, that led to this moment, that led to this moment, and something really beautiful and good came as the result. And we have a hard time as a people, and as an American culture in particular, we have a hard time processing hardship and difficulty and pain. We just have a hard time doing it. People throughout all human history have, but there's something about our American culture that's like, it shouldn't be hard right? It shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be uh, drudgery, right? right? It should be easier than this, and we have a hard time processing it. And so today we're going to be in Hebrews 12, and uh, as we've worked through this series, we've talked about these choices we feel like we have to make with, with God, and one of the choices sometimes we feel like we have to make is, right, does he love me or does he allow hardship in my life? Or even sometimes cause hardship in my life? What choice am I going to make? Is he loving or does he do this? And what I would like to say is what we're going to learn in Hebrews 12 is that maybe those attributes aren't as far apart as we think they are. Here's Hebrews 12. There, You'll notice that if you've been in church for a while, you'll probably recognize the very beginning of this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, god is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father not mine right (laughs) if you if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all moreover we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it right How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, look at this phrasing, trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Those of you that came in today, like, my, my knees are weak, my arms are feeble, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Right? So here's kind of the, what I want to show you in this text, is that in this text, there are three categories of hardship specifically mentioned for why hardship comes into our life that is specifically mentioned in Hebrews 12. There's a fourth that is not mentioned in this text, but I think it bears mentioning. And that is that sometimes hardship comes to us as the result of this broken and fallen world that we live in. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3 and see that at some point sin entered the world. And once sin entered the world, Paul will write that we are like in bondage and decay. Thank you, Paul, for that encouraging word. That the world is in bondage and decay. And so part of what it means to be a human living in the world today is that sometimes hardship comes as the result of our broken and fallen world. That our bodies don't work the way they should. The world doesn't work the way that they should. Relationships don't work the way that they should. We are in bondage and decay as the result of sin. But if we stick to this text, there are three basic uh, ways that hardship comes To a person, and the first category of hardship we actually learn from Jesus—it's the category called opposition from sinful men. Opposition from sinful men. This is a hardship that Jesus allows in this broken and fallen world. For right now, that Jesus' troubles here on this earth came at the hands of sinners, and you and I were not Jesus. I'm sorry if you didn't know that, right? And we're not going to be sent to a cross, most likely. But perhaps this example of Jesus as trouble coming as a result of opposition from sinful men, this might strike a chord with you. You've been hurt by someone. You've been mistreated by someone. Someone sinned against you, and it's brought hardship into your life. And the persevering advice in this text, in Hebrews 12, the persevering advice in this text is consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you... Going through a similar thing will not grow weary and lose heart. So he says, when you are forced to be affected by someone else's sin, when like their sin bucket spills over onto you, consider Jesus. So let's do that for a moment. Let's consider Jesus and the opposition he received from sinful men. How did Jesus deal with that? What did Jesus do? Well, you could talk about how he showed grace. You could talk about how he stayed on purpose despite what was done to him. You could talk about how he remained faithful. But what this text is alluding to is that eventually for Jesus, victory came. The sinful men would not have the final word. Jesus would be resurrected, and he would have the final word. And the promise of this scripture is that Jesus brings the victory to us. So sometimes it may feel like they're winning, or they have the upper hand, or they are in control. But Jesus and his power and his resurrection reminds us that there is victory in him. And so he says, man, for those of you here today and someone's sin is splashing over on you, I just want to pause for a minute and say, consider him. Consider him who endured opposition from sinful men. They thought they had the upper hand. They thought they had the victory, but the victory came through the resurrection of Jesus, and I hope that we have hope in that. This is, a, this is part of the way that Jesus loves us as we're going through this type of hardship. Part of the way Jesus loves us as we go through opposition from sinful men is he sets an example for us as one who endured and eventually victory came. I hope it's encouraging to you to see his example, to be able to stand in confidence and say, oh, I know someday victory is coming. I can't promise, I I can't know when or even how, but Jesus has assured me victory through his resurrection. So that's one category of hardship that some of you may resound with. It's like, yeah, opposition from sinful men. My neighbor, my cousin, whatever. You know, opposition from, yeah, that that is what I'm enduring right now. The next category of hardship that we learn in Hebrews 12 is what I would call our sin. This is a harder one because we don't like to acknowledge this that sometimes we come into difficulty simply because of a choice we made. We chose to tell the lie. We chose to cheat. We chose to have the affair. And life has gotten hard as the result of it. I think this is a huge part of parenting, right? That we want to try to teach our kids, and grandparenting, we want to teach our kids and our grandkids the consequences of their actions so that they can kind of learn how this works. But sometimes... You do the crime, and we want to make sure you learn that when you do the crime, you do the time, right? That there are natural consequences to our sin. And the persevering advice in this text is that we are called to resist sin to the point of shedding our blood. This is an image of Jesus who, before he went to the cross, actually sweated out blood because he was resisting the temptation to not go. And sometimes in the light of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, we forget this part of Christianity, this admonition that we have received, that sin is something to be resisted. Now, of course, we receive grace when we fall short, but we go out of our way to make sure that we're not intentionally placing ourselves in a path where sin is hard to resist. So if the internet is bad for you, we put up web blockers and we consider not even having it in our home. If that relationship is getting too flirtatious, we take a different lunch or go on a different break. If financially you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, we ask for help and accountability. And the way he loves us when we're going through this, the way he loves us is by empowering us by his Holy Spirit to resist. I'm a believer, if you've been around here for long you know this, I'm a believer in generational sin and shortcomings. I think some of it has to do with just our parents set an example, our grandparents set an example, and a lot of times those things are just rinsed and repeated. But this is an example to us. By by the power of Jesus' resurrection, generational sin, I believe, can be overcome and conquered. You do not have to rinse and repeat what your parents did or what your grandparents did. In Christ, you can live a new life. And I hope that's encouraging to you as well. As you think about your own sin, but also just generational sin that has been passed down from person to person. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that to my kids. I'm not going to set that example. I'm not going to go down that path because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in me, I can overcome. The last category of hardship is the one we want to spend the rest of the sermon on, really. Um, and it has to do with God's discipline. It says the way that you can know that you are a son or daughter of God, there's two ways that are really explicitly mentioned in Scripture. One is that you have the Holy Spirit. right? So the Spirit seals our sonship and our daughtership. That is just theologically true. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a son or daughter of God. The Scripture promises it. The second way you can know for sure is that you are disciplined by him. Yay, right? (laughs) This is one of the ways that you can know that you are a son or daughter of God. He disciplines us for our good because he loves us. So sometimes... The hardship that we face in life. I wanted to give you the full context of the rest of scripture to know that sometimes it's broken the fallen world, sometimes it's it's the sin of others, sometimes it's our own sin, but this is one other way that God brings hardship is that that God brings hardship, doesn't just allow it, that he's trying to get our attention and he's trying to keep us from walking down a road that we're not to be on. And again, if you have children or grandchildren, you get this because you discipline them Not because you hate them. That's insane. You discipline them because you love them and you want to see their character formed and you want to see it strengthened and you want to see them be the people God designed them to be. And so you want them to see lying is wrong. And so you make them experience a consequence. You want them to see that stealing is wrong or being unkind is wrong. And God, in the same way, he disciplines us, Hebrew says, because he loves us. The persevering advice, you're not going to like it. The persevering advice in this text is, when God does that, endure it. What the Greek word means is to remain under it. So sometimes when you're disciplined, you're like, well, God, if this is how it's going to be, I'm done. I'm done going to church. I'm done worshiping you. I'm done reading the Bible. I'm out and I'm done. No, 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 no. Endure it. Endure it. Learn from it. If there's a sin that you know in your life, and God has no interest in keeping this a mystery for us, by the way, right? Most of the discipline that he enacts in my life, he makes sure I know why he's doing it. He doesn't want me to be guessing. Oh God, what? I don't know what I've done. No, you, you do know what you've done, right? And so we remain under it. We, we change course. We, we change direction. We repent of our sin, but we don't shake our fist at God in anger and run Away from him, I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation. He says to the church of the uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, "I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing." But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I counsel you to buy uh, from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and put self on your eyes so you can see. And here it is. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, hears my door and op- if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love the way this warning plays out. Jesus says, my, the way you can think about God's discipline... Is It's like him knocking at the door of your house, trying to get your attention. So I want you to imagine for a minute, you are dead asleep. It is 2.30 in the morning. You are dead asleep, and your neighbor comes over, and they just start pounding on your door, screaming for your attention, knocking and knocking and knocking, screaming. And, and you run downstairs to your front door, and you open that door expecting someone to be being murdered or on fire, right? Something awful is happening and your neighbor is standing there and says, hey, did you have a chance to see the season finale of The Bachelor? I thought it was terrific. You would be so mad because they knocked and they yelled for no reason. If Jesus is being loud and he's knocking at the door, especially when it comes to his discipline, Jesus doesn't do that. He's doing it for a reason. He's trying to get your attention. And he's doing it for a reason. He's trying to get you to stop. He's trying to get you to stop from, to stop and pause instead of making the bad decision. Or to go down the path that you're on. He's trying to wake you up to a, a decision that your family's in the process of making. And, and he's making life a little uncomfortable. And, and he's bringing about discipline to get your attention. And this is what we need to understand. What is it his discipline is trying to accomplish? I think the scriptures are clear. His discipline is leading us to life. And I think this is the thing that everyone has to decide how they feel about Jesus in this realm. Do you believe your heavenly father is leading you to life? Do you believe his example will lead you to life? Do you believe his words will lead you to life? Do you believe his commands will lead you to life? And do you believe his discipline isn't to harm you? His discipline is not to harm you. His discipline is to lead you to life. For well over uh, three decades, Patrick uh, Vaccarella has been a fixture at his local Christmas tree shop. And every year people come and they buy a Christmas tree. And he has helped a ton of people find the perfect tree, load it into their car. And he says, it is fun to see everybody year after year and remember them from year after year because I have been doing this for so long, over 30 years. It didn't exactly start out that way. Back in 1987, he was a, he was a youth that loved to show off his 1979 Pontiac Trans Am. And he loved to do this by parking at certain street corners around his town and just burning rubber and shooting off like a rocket down the street. He loved to do this by this Christmas tree shop. And the owner of the Christmas tree shop was getting tired of it, right? It happened day after day. So one day he called the police and said, You know, I'm not looking to have this kid arrested or anything. I just kind of want to scare him. And so the police kind of camped out near where where this happened night after night. And sure enough, Highway 31, right next to the Christmas tree lot, on a certain night, Philip kind of ends, or Patrick ends up there. He does the exact same thing. The police pull him over and they give him two options. They said, We can give you a ticket for, for what you've done. Or you can volunteer at the Christmas tree shop for two weeks. I said, well, I'll take the Christmas tree shop for two weeks. <laughs> 30 years later, he's still serving. He said it wasn't long before what seemed like a punishment, it wasn't long before what seemed like a punishment started to seem like a privilege. He quickly became friends with the owner of the Christmas tree lots, his two sons, And together they help families pick out trees. And I found this illustration online. And I love the take-home point of the illustration. I want to put it on the screen for you. It says, God often uses the repercussions of our misbehavior to invite us into newer and healthier ways of living. In God's kingdom, discipline is less punishment and more of an invitation to wholeness. And I really want us to understand that this morning. When God disciplines his children... He is inviting us into wholeness. His discipline results in our holiness. And holiness, it's kind of a church word, but it is what God is trying to achieve in the life of every believer. Holiness, we we are most like God when we're holy because he is holy. And so holiness, all it means in the Bible is that we're set apart and we're different. And it's when we're living these holy lives that God is so pleased. And it's also the way that God is preparing us to live out our eternal lives, is by making us holy, because heaven will be a place where holiness rules supreme. And so now, in the season that we're in right now, right now he's trying to put holiness into us through his Holy Spirit and through his word and through his discipline. And he'll use all of those things. He'll use his word. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're reading reading the Bible or reading your Bible on a screen, right? You're reading your Bible and you'll come across a verse and you're like, oh, that's not me. Or, oh, that is me and I need to repent of it. And, And all of a sudden God will convict you through his word. Paul writes in Timothy that God's word is useful for rebuking us. Sometimes he'll use his church and you'll see the example of someone, or you'll hear a sermon, and are like, oh, they're displaying this attribute. I don't have that attribute. Or, or I'm hearing a message from God's word, and, and that's just not me. And then sometimes he'll use his discipline. He will make the pain associated with a bad decision and not engaging in a right decision painful enough that we choose holiness. And the reason he does it is to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. No one loves discipline at the time. No one's asking you to love it. But they are expecting that you will love the result of it. Right? And you could, you could kind of apply this to any discipline in your life. No one likes dieting. You want to eat what you want to eat when you want to eat it. No one likes dieting, but you learn to love the harvest of righteousness when your summer clothes fit. No one likes working out. A few people, a few psychos do, but most people don't like working out, right? But you do it so that you'll reap a harvest of righteousness and later you'll be strong and able to live the life that you want to live. No one likes to do homework, but you do it to reap a harvest of righteousness called graduation. That we have to like everything we go through is untrue, it is just a lie. That we have to like everything we go through isn't true. But we can begin to view the lens through the harvest that will come later. That, man, I don't like that I'm going through this. But because I have, my faith will be stronger, my hope will be secured, and my joy will increase, and so on. Our daughter, Lila, is very sensitive to discipline, right? If you lower your tone, if you enact a discipline, uh, if if you threaten a discipline she will begin to lay on the guilt pretty thick. <laughs> and she will begin to say these things to Cheryl and I, like, I guess you just don't want to see me anymore. I guess you just don't care about me. I guess you're just really mad at me. You don't, you don't even want me here anymore. And we'll usually end up saying, like, baby girl, no one is saying that but you. I sometimes wonder if God feels the same way. He allows us to go through something hard or he brings about a discipline. And sometimes we'll say these things like, I guess you don't love me anymore. I guess you don't care about me. I guess you don't want me around. And I wonder if God, who disciplines us because he loves us, is like, you're the only one saying that. What I'm saying through the cross, God says, Is that you are more loved than you can imagine. What I am saying through my resurrection is that there is more powerful, there is more power available to you than you can imagine. What I'm saying through my Holy Spirit is that there is more joy, hope, and peace available to you than you can imagine. See, it's false to say, does God discipline me or does God love me? He disciplines me because He loves me. It is also false, if you go into the other categories, to say, does God allow hardship in this world, or does he love me? It's both. Because he allows hardship in this world, and because he loves you, he gives you his resurrection power. It's also false to say, does God allow sin, or does he love me? Because sin is allowed right now, he offers his grace and his spirit so that we can resist to the point of death. And I think this idea gets to the lens through which I want to see Hardship and discipline uh, and and, uh, opposition from sinful men and my own sin. Uh, I want us to begin to see it through this lens. God loves me. And I'm telling you, if you will begin to see it through this lens, instead of the lens of, I guess you don't love me, I guess you don't want me, I I, I guess I'm on my own, instead of kind of throwing like a little bit of a fit, no offense to that, like my five-year-old, That you expect to throw a fit, you know? It's different when you're 48 like me. And you're still throwing them when when it comes to God, right? But when we begin to see it through the lens of, no, God loves me, you will begin to see discipline differently. You will begin to see opposition from sinful men differently. You will begin to see your own sin differently. You will begin to see this broken and fallen world differently. But it all starts with a singular lens of saying, I am choosing to view this all through the category, first, God loves me. God loves me. He doesn't need to do additional things to prove his love for me. The cross, his son, the resurrection, the spirit, the church. (laughs) He's done plenty, right? He doesn't need to additionally prove his love for me. So if I can start on square one with God loves me, it will alter the way that I see every single other thing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his love. I pray that we would begin to see that love, and that we would see it on square one, and that it would alter the way that we see your discipline of us sometimes. It will alter the way that we see opposition from sinful men. That we won't be discouraged and lose heart. I see so much of that on social media. From Christians. That we are weary and we have lost heart. But if we start with you love us, we know that you are empowering us and helping us to overcome. The way that even I see my own sin. If I don't see that you love me first, I am tempted to run away from you when I sin. So help me to be on square one. And as it meant, you love me. And because of that, when I see my own sin, certainly I repent. But I repent and I run to you. I pray as we get ready to receive communion that we can spend a few moments together this morning on this square. Just remembering how much you've done to demonstrate your love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are going to receive a communion right now. And uh, it's, like I said in the prayer, it's an opportunity for us to spend a little bit of time on this square Uh, and just to remember to start here that God loves us. He loves us deeply, and it's going to change the way we view the world. It's going to change the way that we view our opposition from sinful men. It's going to change the way we see our own sin and God's discipline of us. But it, it has to start with God loves me. And so we're going to receive uh, some bread and some juice that reminds us of his love for us. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for us as we close this series is that we wouldn't see a lot of oars when it comes to Jesus. Is he this or is he this? A lot of times on the categories we've talked about anyway, he's both. And there there can be a really beautiful tension in that Um, and and, uh, really beautiful to kind of see him for who he is. Uh, So you go and stand. Uh, We're going to close with one last song of worship and we'll start uh, Villainous uh, next Sunday. All right. God bless you guys.